This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Well, normally when Ira and I have an owner or GM on the eye test for two podcasts, we're asking about maybe their players, their opponent, maybe it's Tom Brady, I don't know, but not today, no, not today, because today we have Indianapolis owner Jim Irsay with us, and he's not here to talk about Jonathan Taylor, Matt Ryan, or even Tom Brady, you know, but he's here to talk about the Jim Irsay collection, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to look it up online. It's one of the deepest and most diverse collections of musical, historical, athletic, and pop culture memorabilia on the planet. Certainly one of the most diverse I've ever seen. And it's in the midst of a cross-country tour that takes it to New York City this Friday, June 3rd, where it is available for viewing at the Hammerstein Ballroom on 34th Street. Now, I was at the Hammerstein Ballroom a long time ago to see what was left, the Grateful Dead, a band called Further by Bob Weir. But anyway, um, with this collection, what are you going to see? It's a good question. And there's the piano where John Lennon sat to write some of the material for Sgt. Peppers. There's Jerry Garcia's Tiger guitar, the original manuscript for Jack Kerouac's On the Road. Um, I, I know that Jimmy brought that to New York. I think, I think it was something like 2005, 2006 out of the public library. It was fantastic. Um, he's also got a wanted poster implicating John Wilkes Booth for the murder of Abraham Lincoln. The shoes of Muhammad Ali were for the thrill in Manila. And the original printing, yes, the original printing of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. So in short, uh, there's a lot of everything. And best of all, best of all, it's open to the public and it is free. You heard me, free. The reason? Well, he's about to tell us. Jim Irsay, thanks so much for returning to join Ira and me on the I test for two. Great to have you here. Well, Clark and I are great to be here. Uh, you know, um, you know, everyone obviously should know of our our long, long friendship of the three of us, and we go back a long, long way. I always say, you know, when I see like Chris Berman or Chris Mortensen, I say, you know, Tom Jackson's like, there's not many of us left that you know can go back <laughs> and remember right. when, you know, Peter King, a couple people, but. You know, I thought we were going to talk about football, so I have to go get the other Jim Irsays in a phone booth. You'll be right. <laughs> yeah, if you could get him. Yeah, please. Dial him up. <laughs> well, it's but, funny because all, it's like, you know, it's like you're an NFL owner. You can't do that. Like, you know, we're going to categorize you. You know, you have to be this way. What do you mean? Um, but, I, you know, I, I think people, um, as the generations have turned and the baby boomers have grown older, you know, there's a lot more, you know, spreading out in terms of where your interests go. And, and, you know, I've been blessed, Clark and I are, because really at such an early age, it was like the centerpiece was like rock and roll and NFL football. And as we know in this country, it's almost impossible, rock and roll and pop music, you know, for the lack of a better word, you know, all the music that comes with that, you know, and NFL football. I mean, that, that, that really speaks to, you know, the greatest joys and the things that have happened, you know, uh, in this country uh, in such a big way, um, you know, over the last 50 plus years. So um, it, it's been a blessing to be part of that. And, 
to kind of branch out and, and to get into um, this world of collectibles. And of course, it's way, way more than rock and roll, so to speak. But um, it really tries to speak of not just the 20th century America, but, um, you know, going back to Lincoln and going back to George Washington and going back to, you know, times that have passed uh, as well. You know, for instance, you know, I had the, 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 the over 200 year old uh, copy of the Declaration of Independence because there's not many and I was with President Obama and Martha's Vineyard this last summer and just sharing it with him and talking you know to him about it and I actually wanted him to sign it and he's like no Jim I'm not signing that it's like a copy <laughs> Mr. President I don't care controversial it's like I'll give you a side letter I'm not signing that. It's like, yeah, but it brings together, you know, all the generations and it makes sense. No, it doesn't. I'm the president. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Jim, listen, I, I know you have an ample collection because I've seen it. I, I saw it in your office in Indianapolis. Pete Ward once took me back there and I was blown away by everything that was on your wall. But most people who buy these things, they buy them to store away and keep them. But you're not. You're sharing them. And you're sharing them for free. Why? Well, I, you know, the way I really look at it and the way I live, Clark and I are, you know, it's really intuitively and, and just really kind of organically and try to, you know, like the, the, the collection has been put together in a very detailed, intuitive way. But, you know, the canvas that it's become and with the painting that's become the fabric, you know, it's been magical because it's kind of painted itself. You know, it's, it's, and that's the way it's been with this collection. You know, like I was searching for a public-private partnership like you build stadiums, except in this case, you know, I was doing nothing except giving everything and getting nothing, you know. So it was like a different, you know, move than when you build an NFL stadium as known or when you're in your business model. This was like, you know, I'm putting all the money in. I don't want anything. If we build a museum, I don't want any proceeds. I just want it to be done the right way and let's do a public-private partnership. You know, I'll bring, you know, over $100 million of priceless things. I'll put them in there for free. I'll keep them in there for X amount of time. You know, tell me what land you have, what museum, you know, you know, let's do this for your city. You know, so I talked, you know, it started in Nashville before we played the Titans. And so then, you know, some of the band guys were there and I go, well, let's just do a song, you know. So I did Dylan's All Along the Watchtower and we did a couple other songs. It was great, so it's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe we should play at these shows. So then it got really serious. We went to Washington, D.C. with all the collectibles, and I was on Capitol Hill because I'm the chairman of our legislative committee with the NFL. So that was kind of coordinating, you know, some just networking there. But also we played the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Um, you know, I know I sent you that picture, and, and yeah, that was great good. on a beautiful November day. And And so then, you know, we were rehearsing for that, and then we went to – to Austin, Texas, and we, you know, you know, rehearsed at that, and, and, and Austin's a great, you know, artistic town, and then we went to Los Angeles, and, you know, Billy Gibbons was so great, uh, and joined uh, the band in the whole show, and uh, it was Kerouac's 100th birthday, so Doug Brinkley, my friend, the great author, who's a, you know, big Kerouac fan, um, you know, Doug and I were both friends with Hunter S. Thompson, so Doug like had orchestrated certain readers to come and, and actually Hunter's widow, uh, Anita was a good friend. She came and read some, but you know, it, it was incredible because, uh, we had the reading 
on this 100th birthday, but then we had the show and we had Billy Gibbons and all the collectibles. But wanting to show it to the public, like you said, has been a huge desire of mine. So, like, you know, I wanted to show the whole show to the public, but there's certain musicians that are under contract that said, I can't do a public show because, you know, my my um, production company, I'm under contract where I'm not allowed to, blah, 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 at this point. So it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, show the collection then to everyone, to the public. So that's going to be incredible because we want to, you know, do a live show, do the whole thing, probably going to do it in indie, you know, um, and, and so... Um, you know, but New York is incredible. Like you said, Clark at the Hammerstein, it's, it's like, you know, it, it's, um, like Sinatra says, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. When you come to New York, you gotta be on your A game. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, but actually I really want to turn this into a Broadway play as well, potentially. And we're also filming a, a long documentary film. You know, I won't say along the line of Anthony Bourdain's, uh, you know, kind of doc that he did, you know, um, but, but, uh, you know, um, Roadrunner, but, you know, it, it, it's certainly not going to be about me, but, you know, we're going to be in Milan and we're going to be in Paris and London in 2023. So the show goes on. And right now, um, the Broadway play, you know, really would be imagine if you, you know, have a Broadway play on the Renaissance and you talk about, you know, oh, Van Gogh, Monet's, and then all of a sudden you're passing them in the audience real Monet's, but you know, that's what we can do with this. You know, Paul McCartney's meeting with John Lennon at age 16 is played out in the play. And then you have, you know, John Lennon and Paul's guitar being passed or seen through the audience, you know, a really interactive aspect. And I know, um, you know, producers, um, in Broadway are very interested in doing that. So it's kind of grown into this, you know, I'm not really looking for a permanent home as much because I realize the value of it, like these, of a traveling museum and museums have become much more virtual anyway. You know, you have to, it's not like old museums. Like, you know, I saw the Mona Lisa in Paris and it's like, oh, that's beautiful. You know, don't get too close. And you look at the Mona Lisa, it's incredible. But, but this, you know, you, you want, you know, the interactive nature of this is really important. Like, you know, Elton John's piano that was used at Live Aid played by Freddie uh, Mercury and Paul McCartney, John Lennon's last concert with Elton John in 74, all Elton's big shows at Dodger Stadium in 74. You know, that's his main piano. So that piano will be on stage and being used for this New okay. York performance. So we do bring the guitars into play, like Tiger's been played and David Gilmore's um, Black Strat from Pink Floyd's been yeah. played by musicians. So you know, it's kind of something that's really never been done, that's being done, that's a lot of fun. So it's kind of finding its own own way, just like the documentary is uh, in a lot of ways. Well, Jim, when, when did you first start collecting? And, and what was the first item that you got? What, what, was, what was the first item you got as a collectible? Well, I was always kind of into collectibles and wanting to do it since I was a little kid. Like, I collected baseball cards. And I, you know, I grew up in Winnetka, Illinois, and I'd go down to the little drugstore and Whenever on Monday morning the baseball cards would come in, I'd buy a whole box. And the kids in the neighborhood, would be, you know, you son of a gun, he bought the whole box. You know, you know, back then you couldn't get the baseball cards anywhere else. It's like, you know, 1971. But you know, so I always liked collecting. And and then like the biggest piece was on the road 
where, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, the late Hunter S. was a great friend, and Cameron Crowe is a great friend, the, the great uh, movie director and writer. And so we talked about the beats and on the road and its importance. And then when I went up to Chicago at the Hancock Building, and I saw the physical nature, the physical nature of collectibles make a difference. Like, on the road's 120 feet, and I have a case for it in Paris. We had it fully extended to 120 feet. In L.A., we only had 60 feet because it has various cases for different venues. But, you know, it, there's nothing quite like that. Like, there's manuscripts, but there's not manuscripts where it's like one that's 120 feet, except maybe in Egypt or something. And even those things probably aren't that long. I'm not very good at knowing that part of, you know, ancient history. But, you know, the scrolls. But, um. Uh, it's called the scroll for that reason. But, but you know, I was there in New York. Christie's was putting it on. Um, you know, and I went into it like the Chicago Bears defense of 85. It's like, blitz every play with your paddle. Just like before the auctioneer could say that. I mean, people probably looked at me and go like, you know, I've never been at an auction. Never did an auction. You know, I probably had a few too many cocktails and that didn't help. And it was just like, up goes the paddle, up goes it's like, finally, just leave that madman alone. He's crazy. Just, so then afterwards, it's like, you have this role, and the international media is surrounded. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, wow, this is crazy, you know. Um, and, and so, and then, like, Rolling Stone was worried, you know, the scroll's in constant danger in his hands, you know, because, like, I'd wrap myself in the scroll, you know, and there'd be a burning nearby. It's like, you know, like, you know, some of the archivists were like, you know, it's in horror, you know, it could just perish in his hand. It's bad. It's like, which was all untrue because I have a curator and anything we've done has been a more of a trick of the eye with it through the years. But so the scroll was really the biggest thing. And then it just, it just rolled out and rolled out and rolled out. And, um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, God willing, if I live long enough for, you know, the next 25 or 30 years or whatever I have left, you know, at age 62, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I can't imagine what it's going to be, you know, but, you know, I mean, it's something where it's been put together artistically, Clark, and honestly, if, if someone from Saudi Arabia came and said, I'll give you a billion dollars for the whole collection, I'd be, it's not for sale, you know. Yeah, that's here. right, that's right, yeah. Well, hey, I, I noticed he was talking about L.A., New York, Milan. I, I didn't hear Tampa on that itinerary, I, I didn't, well, I didn't hear you sound. Now, we uh, want to get there, of course. We want to get to Florida. Uh, there, there's no question, you know, uh, so, um, you know, um, you know, it's really enjoyable, Clark and I are uh, doing the shows. It, it's been something that's really energized me. I know the band, you know, loves playing. They love to do it because they want to be there. You know, I encourage anyone that's there has to love being there. You know, it's like a Rolling Stone or Pink Floyd show. I mean, to set this stuff up, I mean, it's, semi-trucks and days, I mean, because you're talking about pianos and, you know, not just guitars. And, and and so, you know, Larry Hall was our old ticket manager who retired and went into curatorship um, uh, to help the collection. Jim Canary's a, a specialist in manuscripts and, and um, this interesting Buddhist guy with the long beard and looks after the scroll. And so, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's, it, it's a big deal. Um, but I love, I mean, it's a labor of love for me. I mean, it's service work. It's service to the arts. And, you know, we definitely get, you know, kick the stigma involved with, you know, that I started with the team and my daughter, Kaylin, and, and our family. And, you know, just a, a mental health awareness and, and destigmatizing mental health. So, 
maybe things in Texas that happen won't happen because people won't be ashamed to seek help as they are today. If like, you know, pancreatic cancer, oh, you poor person, oh, I have depression. You know, someone says, I didn't get any flowers for that. I didn't get any cards for that. You know, because, you know, you know, mental illnesses, which is racking this country, particularly after COVID, you know, you know, it's really in a big interest of us to tend to. And so the show kind of, you know, propels, you know, all these kind of, um, I don't know, humanitarian things, if you want to say that. But really, it, it's about being a service and, and it's about sharing it. Like you said, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, well, you'll never see that again. Whoever has it will just lock it up and not show people. But like to me, I mean, look at guys, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? I mean, it's like, I don't own these things. It's like, I'm a steward. I borrow them. I'm not, you know, I have no, but it's dust to dust, man. I have possessions I hold very lightly, you know. But I do take the responsibility very seriously that if I'm going to enter this world of things that people love so much, I have an obligation, you know, in my mind at least, to to, to display them and, and try to get hey, them. Jimmy, uh, I... Jimmy, I, I just saw a video of you uh, in Austin. You, you were singing The Weight. And um, Mr. Ursay, you, you, you ain't Levon Helm, but you ain't bad. You ain't bad. Um, and, You're right, Ira. You know, look at, you know, the band loves me because, like, you know, they're all so professional. And, and you know, although I was a non-professional musician and loved it, you know, they're, they just love the fact of my heart and energy and they love, you know, when we do Gimme Shelter or do The Wait, and we got some new special songs we're dialing up. But, you know, I, I try to do enough, and people love it, but I try to get out of the way as well, because to me it's about the whole production. It's like, you know, like I've written songs before, and it's like I can't perform this. I don't want to perform it. There's a lot of people that can perform it better. And, like, you know, we're going to do a song maybe in New York. It'll be a shocker. Um and it's like, I'd love to be able to perform it and sing it, but there's no way I could, you know. So I know, but I know someone who can, you know, and, and it's going to be interesting because we're bringing him in. I met him, you know, in Washington, D.C., and he's a comedy performer, but he's actually sings almost better than Ben Skill. And, you know, he just couldn't make any money, I guess, in music. But anyway, you know, it, it's something where, you know, because I'm always like, let's just do this song. And it's like, well, we didn't write it out. We didn't rehearse. It's like, well, you guys are so good. I don't care. It's like, no, Jim, you don't understand. You know, we were trying to do when the levee breaks, you know, and Mike Silver was there as we were rehearsing it. I, I think we were in, in L.A. And I'm going, let's do when the levee breaks. And they're like, it's three parts. It's so complicated. We can't do it. And I said, okay, we'll forget it. But at least let's try it for fun in rehearsals. Because rehearsals, are a lot of fun, you know, where you kind of work things through. And, you know, you're right, Ira, you know, look at, I'm not Van Morrison, and I know that, but at the same time, you know, I know what I, I'm, I'm good at. You know, I'm more of a, you know, you know, I'll put my poetry and my reading of poetry up against anyone, you know, um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, being a, I never, first of all, you know, I injured my guitar playing hand and had five operations on it, so I still play but I can't play like I used to. So I never thought I'd be a, a lead singer with no guitar in my hands. It's like, I'm not a lead. I'm not Mick Jagger. I mean, my God, I be a lead singer. Are you kidding me? It's like, okay, Jim, just try it. You know, so it, it, it's just like, uh, it, it's just fun. But I think people see your heart and they see your energy 
and 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 I know the band loves that. So I try to do a few songs, maybe three or something, and get out of the way for the other people. And Kenny Wayne Shepherd will do some of his hits. Mike Mills will do some REM hits, and we always have guest performers. We got you know some super guests in New York. Um, that would be awesome. And then you know Billy Gibbons, like I said, he was incredible. You know in L.A. Um, and was such a great guy to get to know, you know, so it's, it's a lot of fun, but, but like, you know, again, like you try to do what you can do and you want the whole thing to come off great, you know, and, um, you know, it's like we say in, you know, in, in football, you know, it's amazing what can be accomplished if it doesn't matter, it gets the credit. And I think, you know, it's like, you know, we have a team that's assembled and everyone likes passing the ball. You know, not everyone says, I want to take the shot all the time. So that's the kind of feeling we have amongst the, you know, the band and the group that gathers for sure. Jimmy, you were, uh, Jimmy, you were too young for uh, Monterey. You, you were too young for Woodstock. So, Mr. Ursay, what, what is the greatest rock concert or show you've ever attended? You know, that's, that's a great, great question. You know, um, you know, my favorite band of all time is the who, you know, you know, I've been longtime friends with Pete Townsend and I saw Pete when he played Andy roof off here, the outdoor arena and he's doing great. He's going to be turning 77 soon. Um, but I would say probably the who in New York city in 79, like, you know, I went with my future wife, Meg, and we were just like 19 years old. And I was in these pubs on the streets of New York, hoping John Lennon would walk in, which, of course, he didn't, um, you know. Uh, and uh, Roselle got me tickets, you know, and, and I was just, you know, wasn't even working for the team full time yet. You know, and her and I kind of went to New York and saw the Who in 79. It was like, wow. I mean, it was that's probably, you know, I tell you. You know, Joe Walsh is a really good friend of mine. Um, and, man, the Eagles are playing. I mean, you would not. If you haven't seen the Eagles lately, they're playing better than they ever have their whole life. It, it's just remarkable. And, of course, Glenn Fry's missed. But Ben Steele is so humble and so unbelievable and so talented. But, you know, I saw Don Henley performance recently, you know, because I, I, I saw them. You know, they were in D.C. and also in Frisco. And, um, you know, Don Henley's performance of Hotel California and the five main tracks on, on, on there. Um, I've never seen a performance in my life that good. I mean, I, I mean, to sit up there at 75 years old and vocalize, you know, those five key songs from Hotel California in order. I, I just was like, this is just unbelievable and joe's playing so well you know joe's 72 now and uh you know but see a lot of you know a lot of these guys like joe and pete you know they sobered up a while ago you know so yeah. they're playing great because they've been sober for you know more than 20 years and you know the guys that didn't get sober are pretty much dead but you know i mean steven stills has been a long 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 time friend of mine for 40 years and steven was in la and you know, he, he had just gone through a lot. He just turned 77 and had the COVID and was in a car crash, but he's doing, you know, remarkably well. But I said, you know, Stephen, don't play. Just, he wanted to, but he hadn't even had a chance to play much. And so he just enjoyed the hell of a, out of it. He, he, he saw, you know, um, Lightning Hopkins, what's his name? Uh, 
um, reform, uh, the old Kerouac guy, you know, lightning hostage, I forget what, 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 what Yeah, well, I think that's his name, but and he was just watching, and, and, you know, him and Billy hit it off great, but I'm like, Stephen, you know, you don't have to perform, but then, you know, he just played with um, Brandy Carlisle at, at Music Care, which is a great uh, charity for um, having safe houses for sober musicians uh, um, that are trying to get sober and create that kind of environment. So, so you know, it's great to see, you know, Stephen took me in, you know, in 1981, we left at Owner's Means in Palm Springs, and, you know, I was 22, 23 years old, and he showed me L.A., and I was like, you know, I never thought I'd meet Stephen Stills. I'm like, this is, like, unbelievable. Like, I, you know, when you're in high school, it's like, you know, there's no way you'll ever meet someone like that, you know. And now I'm at his house, and, you know, we're on the Sunset Strip at the Comedy Club, and Richard Belzer's performing, and it's like, oh, my God, you know. And, and so, you know, Stephen and I have had, you know, 40-year friendship. And so, um, you know, him and I talk a lot about, you know, he was good friends with Hendrix, and, and and loved Jimmy and and they were very close and uh, uh, so you know I've been able to you know just like with football you know George House was at my wedding I mean the founder of the league in 1920 wow. George House was at my wedding in 1980 an elderly man in a wheelchair then but you know that's like saying you know you know President Obama saying you know well you know George Washington was at my wedding <laughs> you know it's like so I've been blessed enough I was just old enough like Iris said. Yeah, I missed the '60s, no doubt, and, and I kind of got kind of got into, you know, the great music and stuff. Like probably in like you know, I mean, I mostly listened to soul music, WGRT in Chicago, Temptations and Joe Tex and you know, Little Stevie Wonder and all those guys, and you know, and, and I was kind of raised on that and Bill Withers and stuff, Otis Redding, and and then you know, it turned to rock and roll, and and so. You know, these guys were like our big brothers. Like, you know, when you're a baby boomer and there's that depression or gap with your parents, like, you know, these guys basically kind of raised us, I mean, in some ways. Because, like, during the depression era and the parents that came, there's such a generation gap back then. You know, like, there'd be high school parties and there just wouldn't even be a parent around. I mean, it's like, you know, different days back then, you know. And so it's been an interesting journey because, you know, you know, I've been, I've met Paul McCartney, you know, I know Bob Dylan, I know Stills for a long time, and it's been a thrill and honor to do that, just like I was able to know Paul Brown and, and Pete Roselle and George Hallis, and our Rooney Sr. gave me, you know, my first cigar at an NFL meeting in 1981 while he was still alive, you know, so, you know, I've been really blessed because it means a lot to me, um, the people that came before me the mentors that have helped shape me, um, whether it's in football or in music, which really kind of is very spiritual to me. Um, it's been a real blessing, you know, to be able to be uh, meet some of the people I have down the tracks, you know. Well, we're with Indianapolis owner Jim Mercy on the eye test for two. And Ira, the reason I gave a huge guffaw when he said the who, the last time I was with Jim in Indianapolis, he won't remember this, I don't think, but the last time I was with him, I told him the first time I saw The Who was in 1969 in Boston, the Boston Tea Party, which is a nightclub right outside 
of Fenway Park on Lansdowne Street and uh, saw them there wow. I think they were for two or three nights. And I saw them in November. And I'll never forget what Jim said. He goes, my God, that's when I would have wanted to see them. They were they were so good. They did Tommy nonstop. And then I went to see them the next summer in Columbia, Maryland, at Merriweather Post Pavilion. And they had a riot there and they tore down the fences. We still saw them there. So I followed them wow. around. And Jim, well, you're right. I'm jealous. And then I was in the Cow Palace when Keith Moon passed out and they brought in this 19-year-old drummer named Scott Halpern. So anyway, that's a long way of saying I was uh, ahead of Jim at that point. And when I talked to him, he'd go, oh, that's what I wish I was doing, watching him then. So when he said that, I went, oh, man, oh that brings back a conversation. Anyway, Jim. I mean, I've Clark, got, you're got, too young. That's impossible. You must... You must go in a time machine or something and reverse your <laughs> clock. But I mean, the man. I've got a couple. I've got a couple last ones for you. We're running out of time, so I'm going to ask you to make them fairly quick. Your most prized possession. What is it? I know you just spent four million dollars for David Gilmore's black strap, but what's your most prized possession in this whole collection? You know, it, it would be. Um, you know, it's a toss-up between John Lennon's personal piano that he wrote Sgt. Pepper and many other songs on that was in his house um, up until the point he died, and um, the AA original manuscript, you know, that formed the 12 Steps in the Big Book that was founded in 1935 by Bill Wilson wow. and Dr. Bob. You know, the manuscript was voted by philosophers and everything is the most important discovery of the 20th century more important than the polio vaccine, more important than landing on the moon, because it's just saved millions and millions and millions and millions of lives. Um, wow. Lennon piano is so iconic because, you know, what John meant to me, because it was always about, you know, John and Bob Dylan. So, you know, really, it's kind of a toss up between those two. They're both so different, you know, for different yeah. reasons, like for, for like just a pure love of, of the arts and music it's the piano but you know just just i mean you know uh the man you know the you know the manuscript the original one where you know even dr silkworth's writings on there you know the, these people that helped formulate you know a solution when there was no solution i mean my grandfather died of alcoholism in 1927 he had no chance i mean no chance because there was there was no solution um so you know, those two things are, are I would okay. say, you know, I mean, the Holy Grail is Robert Johnson's guitar at the crossroads, allegedly, that he made the deal with the devil. But, you know, that will not be found. You know, um, you know, I, I just, it just won't be. It's disappeared a long time ago in history. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and, and what's the most unusual or quirkiest item you have in your collection? You know, probably, and I debated when I got it, you know, like, you know, some letters from Charles Manson, you know, and oh, I debated geez. about, oh my God. you know, I mean, they're, they're scary, you know, they're really yeah. frightening to read, uh, they, they really are, I mean, it's frightening stuff from a sick mind, unfortunately, but, you know, the 69 tape murders were part of American history and changed our culture and was just, you know, it's part of history and you can't change history for the bad or the good, you know, um, yep. you know, and, uh, so, you know, I mean, that, that, that like stretches out, you know, in, into that area of, um, you know, getting into some, some, some different territory when, 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 when you have Manson letters, because, uh, you know, it was a horrendous, um, event in our, in, in American history. And, 
and one, you know, very, you know, horribly yeah. iconic, unfortunately. Yeah, I, so, I actually remember well. I, remember I got well. one I more for you, Jim. I got, I got one more. Thanks so much for your time, Jim. Um, and best of luck with your show. Jim, I know you got a story. So give me your best one about you trying to bid for an item and you find out that your chief competitor is Paul Allen, the late great <laughs> owner of the Seahawks. Uh, Jim, did you and Paul Allen go at it over an item? <laughs> it is absolutely true. And I'm glad you brought up Paul's name because Paul does not get enough credit for the great American, the great human he was, you know, who builds, you know, Ebola special medical plans for $100 million just to help the world. Paul Allen does, you know. I mean, he does not get enough credit for the man that he was because he was special. But, you know, Paul was a was a friend, and, of course, the EMP in Seattle. If anyone's never been to that museum, you should go. Um, but I was putting back the Beatles together, okay? I mean, this is – the Beatles are getting back together because the only way to do it was, you know, the drum kit. There is no Beatles drum kit. There's the drum skins. And there's seven of them, six in existence, one disappeared. But Drumskin with the drop T, the famous drop T. Drumskin number two was the most iconic. On the Ed Sullivan show, all the Beatles shows in America, Shea Stadium, their last show at Candlestick Park when they got out of the Brinks fans to play their last show. And, and so this Drumskin was just a Drumskin. So first I had to secure this for millions of dollars, which I – successfully did then Ringo is putting his drums for sale in LA on the market it's like wow you know this is I if I don't get the other thing you know this has to happen so you know I I very much um gingerly go into that auction worrying you know and, and and really preparing to do what it takes to you know to get it and thank God you know after some tough bidding and millions of dollars you know I got Ringo's drum set which didn't have any drum, you know, Beatles original drum skin on it. So I put the drum skin on the drums. It was actually, you know, Richard Lovato of CAA. I put it in, in the CAAs in LA and I have a picture of Al Pacino in front of it and stuff. But, you know, we removed it after the COVID. But anyway, I was at a meeting and I saw Paul. I said, hey, you know, Paul, I really appreciate when he was still alive. And I, I said, Paul, I really appreciate you not bidding on Ringo's drums because you know, I was putting the Beatles back together, and if I didn't get it, it would all fall apart. And, you know, thank you. And he goes, what do you mean, Jim? I was bidding on it. You outbid me. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it's like, well, thank you, Mr. $100 billion man, for not flexing your muscle. Because, like, I, you know, as fierce as I am, I would not have stood a chance. And, uh, you know, but Paul was always that way. You know, when he came into the league, him and I talked about, you know, the, the league is strong as 32, and we talked about, you know, the foundation of, you know, how the Giants shared revenue and, 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 and how, you know, the strongest and the weakest team competitive balance. And, and he was, what a great gentleman, and, and just, man, I, I can't say enough about him. I, you know, I'll start crying if I talk anymore because, you know, you just miss people like that. You know, he, he was – there wasn't a lot of, you know – special, special guys that I've met along the way, but he was really one of them, and, and what a kind gentleman he was, and, and he really helped make the world a better place, and 
and he helped my world be better by not helping me on those drums. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, Jim Irsay, thanks so much for stopping by. And Ira, eat your heart out, buddy. I'm going to New York City this week to see Jim Irsay in this collection. Now, I, I can't guarantee you that I'm going to bring back a guitar pick, but I may bring back some toothpicks. <laughs> well, I, we have Dr. Jim. We have Dr. Jimmy from Quadrophenia prepared uh, for you to do uh, the lead vocal, Clark. So I want All you to right. start practicing. My friends say I'm green. I've seen yeah. things that you've never seen. I mean, you know, get into that mode of quadrophenia and, and we'll be we'll take you on center stage. Just, you know, get get uh, your courage up, brother. Yeah, no, there's no way that's happened. There's not enough alcohol in the world that's gonna get it out there. Hey Jim, thanks so much again for joining us and I uh, will see you this week. Thanks. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks so much. It was great. Great talking to you guys, as usual. Keep up the good nice work, time. Jim. Thank you. That was Indianapolis owner Jim Irsay in Ira. I know you wish you could be with me there, right? But you know what? I, I don't think this could be a Todd Rundgren memorabilia. So what am I going to be looking at? Can you bring me back something, Clark? Yeah, I would. I, yeah, maybe maybe a photo a, of Jim a and me. Stick, a drumstick? <laughs> And, and I don't mean, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Can you bring me back a drumstick? <laughs> yeah. Maybe churches? Would that do it? <laughs> churches? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, Ira, do you have final thoughts? I mean, final thoughts yeah. after that one? One Whoa. quick final thought, Clark. As we're taping this, Clark, as yeah. we're taping this, we, we find out Ray Liotta has oh, passed yeah. on. Yeah, Ray yeah. Liotta, at the age of 67, died in his sleep, Clark. Not a bad way to go, right. Clark. We will, we will always remember him from the great Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas when he played Henry Hill, um, one of the great movies uh, of the modern age, and he was fabulous. Clark, he always played dark, tough yeah. guys. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and he said, I'm not like that, but Clark, he sure pulled it off on screen. Well, it's kind of like our producer, Ian. He always plays dark, tough guys on this show. And, and you know what, uh, Ira? I think you know this, but if you don't, I'm going to remind you. Ian, he, he's going to Las Vegas this week. I think he's going to be in Las Vegas for a World Series of Poker. And Ian, you might as well fill us in on it because like, you're leaving momentarily, right? Something's going on this week in Las Vegas. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. If I win, I, I'm not coming back, guys. So uh, <laughs> I, might, I might start my own collection. Uh, no, I just, you know, it's a little little fun. You know, I like to, I like to play poker in my uh, free time when I can. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe make some upgrades for the show. Maybe we'll have a studio. Maybe we'll get Ira into some of those special events that he's been trying to get into. But, um, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. It should be fun. Well, maybe you could buy David Gilmore's black strap from uh, uh, Jim. Rizzo. There we go. <laughs> there we go. That's anyway, the luck, that's the luck. yeah, good And Oh, and by the way, uh, I was asking earlier, can we see this on TV? Uh, well, it depends. I have to test in front of a studio audience. If I actually look good on camera, they might put it on. No, I, this, uh, uh, on yeah. all seriousness, this is, uh, I think, a smaller event. So I, I would have to get very fortunate um, to, oh, to get on television. But if I will. If I am, I will be wearing my I test for two T-shirt. Oh, there you go. Good. Then we're pulling for you. We're pulling hard for you. I hope you are on TV. That's going to do it. Uh, if you'd like to hear this or any of our I test for two podcasts, all right, where do they go? Full press coverage. Full press, press coverage, my friend. Yeah, that's full press coverage. Full yeah, press that's com. right. And you pull down the podcast. You pull down the podcast icon, and you click on Ira. What did you click on? The I test for two. Right. So easy that your dog can do it. Even Cosmo can do it. Even, Even Cosmo, Cosmo can do it. And if you don't want to do it, you know what? Join us next week. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you then.